the next chapter with Prem Saripip Hat drops every Wednesday on the Athletic Podcast Network and wherever you find podcasts. people say weren't you Gabrielle that volleyball player I was like well actually funny enough I'm still Gabby I'm here check 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 one two three let's do this we finally meet each other to truly love somebody you have to understand who you are in order to provide yourself with what's helping hey guys welcome to the next chapter I'm from Saripapet this week we're going inside the ring to feature a boxer whose story is nothing short of a miracle He was a fighter the moment he entered this world. Born prematurely at just two pounds, this once teeny little fighter would blossom into a 6'4", 250-pound physical specimen. With fast hands and magnificent punching power, he'd set the record for most first-round knockouts and would become a two-time heavyweight champion with wins over guys like George Foreman and Ray Mercer. And new linear heavyweight champion of the world, Shannon Even now, at the ripe age of 48, the punches and training haven't stopped as he hopes to break George Foreman's record as the oldest heavyweight champion in boxing history. So what's next for you? Well, I'll be fighting in the next 60 to 90 days. I'm looking great. I'm feeling in phenomenal shape. Look at me, y'all. Thank you, brother. I feel great. Thank you. I appreciate that. I feel great. I'm looking forward to fighting in the next two to three months, and they can't stop me. This champ, as you'll hear him say many times over in this interview, is Shannon the Cannon Briggs. Oh, my God. Now, Shannon's athletic accomplishments in itself are impressive, but they become even more impressive once one hears about the circumstances he grew up in. Born and raised in Brownsville, a small area in Brooklyn, New York, ripe with poverty, drugs, and violence during the 70s and 80s. A biological father who was non-existent. A single mother who battled addiction and died from a heroin overdose. A stepfather who died in prison. He was even homeless for several years as a young teenager. The odds were against him, but somehow Shannon found a way to make something of himself. By the age of 20, he began his professional boxing career and came out with a vengeance, a 25-0 and 0 start. And nearly three decades later, he's still going. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. Here we are, Shannon the Cannon Briggs and I at the athletic offices in New York City. Hi, Shannon. Hey, Chad. Hi, Prem. Hi. Thanks for having me. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank Have you, you ever you. run into somebody where you're like, you don't look like a champ. I'm not going to call you a champ. Uh, there's some chumps out there, but now nah, most people are champs. Everybody, everyone has a champion. I mean, I mean, you just got to bring it out. <laughs> Let's go, champ. So you don't live in New York anymore. But you're making no. the rounds, doing, promoting. We were just talking about promoting a lot of stuff here. Yes, ma'am. Where do we want to begin? What are you promoting? Well, first of all, I'm happy to be home, born and raised here in New York City. Uh, It's changed, but it's still home, so I'm happy to be here. I'm just here to, uh, you know, let the people know I'm I'm New York's own, and I'm just here promoting 
promoting myself and letting them know I'm still alive. It's amazing. So I'm walking down the street and I'm everywhere I go. I'm like, I hear, let's go, champ. What's really? Up, champ? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's too funny. And so. today it's a little cloudy and rainy. So yeah. New Yorkers are a little, they got their heads down. Yeah, pretty much. But I'm still getting a lot of let's go, champs. And, oh, snap, champ, <laughs> let me get a picture. So it, it feels great. It feels great to be home. But when sport was no longer a part of my life, that's where I lost Really, it felt like a lo- I lost everything um, after I retired. And so, you know, a lot of the conversations with the athletes have been loss of identity, loss Facts. of community, Facts. loss of purpose. Facts. So within that context, I'll pose a question. True. The same question I've again. I've been there, by the way. I've been yeah. there. Yeah. So what there. does happen, I guess, from a psychological and an emotional perspective when boxing is no longer a part of your life? Um, I, I've taken breaks. I've taken breaks throughout my career. The longest break has been like three and a half, four years, and I've come back. But during those times, I was definitely feeling a, a, a loss of sense of purpose, and I was like wondering what was next. And trying to keep it in perspective i was suffering from depression as well and that was part of it i've uh i, I suffered from ptsd um i had a rough childhood bringing up like most people unfortunately i internalized a lot of it and, and i think about the past a lot but um during my breaks and my and my um my absence from boxing I, I i went down some dark holes as far as thinking about bad things as far as you know stress and anxiety depression just like maybe being in a in the house by myself for three months straight not going out even to the mailbox just mm-hmm. in the room and windows closed and curtains closed I've, I've i've dealt with that and and then i broke out of it you know i i um i started saying let's go champ yeah, really. I thought I looked in the mirror and I was so disgusted with Shannon and figuring out what was next. I was like, you know what? Um, you can psych yourself out to pretty much do anything. You know, the human human mind is unbelievable. We don't even know how strong we really are. So I said to myself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to create another persona, the champ. You know what I mean? Shannon the Cannon. It was funny and it was um, something to do. And I was just, you know, entertaining myself, but really trying to get, get get a laugh out of myself, Prim, mm-hmm. because I was taking myself too seriously. I was worried about a lot of things that um, I should have I should have been worried about, but at, it came to a point where I was like, you got to ease up. And I started saying, let's go, champ, to motivate myself. It's self-motivation, a mantra for myself, a slogan of, to tell me when I started thinking about negative things to, uh, I would say, let's go, champ. Just as a way to like forget that. Come on, that's like my safe word. Let's go, champ. Don't think like about that. Yeah, that let's go. Leave that alone. And then when I was training, I was getting tired, and I wanted to give up. I started saying, "Let's go, champ. Let's go, champ." And that was even, even, uh, you know, it was a motivation for myself, self motivation. You know, the entourage was gone, the money was gone, and then I had to figure out who was Shannon Briggs without everybody around me. Who was Shannon Briggs without money? Yeah, I've been boxing since I was twenty years old. Well, I turned pro at twenty years old, but what's next? Took my breaks. Uh, sent it myself, got my businesses and things off the ground, and then um, just by getting back in shape, I wound up in the ring again. So here I am, 48 years old, and I'm I still got it. You know, sometimes I'm like, man, you know, I go to the gym, I may box some kid, young young kid coming up, and kind of give him a shellacking, and then I start worrying, <laughs> I start thinking, man, you know what, Shannon, you can still do you this. still got it, you still got it, Shannon. <laughs> and I think I think. The breaks have really helped me big time. The breaks and uh, absence, walking away for times, and it really helped me gave my body time to rest. And I think in the game, for me at least, I have to miss it. I have to want it. I have to um, 
I have to have that desire because if not, then I'm lackadaisical with it. In this game, you can get hurt really bad. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing all that. You're and, welcome. You know, when you, Thank you for having me again. <laughs> when you talk about those bouts of depression that you experience and also the PTSD, um, and I know the basics of your childhood, so there's no question that a lot of that PTSD stems from that. Mm-hmm. But when you when you talk about that, what comes to your mind? Um. You know, my mom, my mom, again, raised me. She was my my life, only child. My stepdad died in prison. And, um, you know, when I lost her on my birthday, December 4th, 1996, that was a hurtful time for me in my life. You know, I was I was lost. I was lost. I had just lost to uh, Dow Wilson in my first loss. I was 25 and 0. I was stopped by Dow Wilson on HBO. It was embarrassing. It was the most embarrassing thing that could happen to me. Everywhere I went, people would just like say rude things. Oh, I seen you got knocked out. It's not like a basketball team or a football mm. team. When they lose, they we you know the team lose. But when I lose, you lost. People sometimes you get silly people, they don't have um they don't have good social skills. So they may say something super like, yo, I seen your fight. You got knocked out, bro. Or whatever, whatever. I'm like, yo, that's not how you talk to a person. You feel me? Mm-hmm. Had incidents like that and it was humiliating, you know, to be disrespected. But a loss is a loss. Climb back many times. Um, my whole life has been the climb back. You know what I mean? Hills and valleys, a roller coaster. But that's that's part of it. And so what I've tried to do is um, show it to other people like myself. Every, there's a lot of people out there who don't know what to do and know how to do it. I went on a journey. I, I wanted to know how could I stop the PTSD? What could I do? I, I would be on online day and night looking for research, science daily, looking out for new things, new um, new tre- new treatments. I was curious, like, you know, taking a lot of punches, CTE. What is it? What is it? Why am I so depressed? Why am I so worried? But then I came to realize that um, part of the worry is, like you said, what's next? You know, a lot of athletes end up uh, living below the poverty line mm. after sports. A lot of uh, athletes end up wondering what's next. And I was just like them. So I was in the search. But not just what's next after boxing. What's what's next for me physically inside? I feel like crap. What can I do? And then I found it, Prem. I started working out every day. I started replacing um, the wasted time with exercise. With exercise, going to the beach. I was told by a friend, champ, go to the ocean. It's crazy, but it's uh, it's something about going in the ocean, going literally in the ocean, and after you come out your problems kind of vanish for a while. It's like they go out with the tide. Mm. And I started making it a part of my regimen every day. Work out, work out, work out, go to the beach. Work out, work out, work out, go to the beach. And it did amazing for me. It just, I got a phenomenal shape. I was 403 at one point, suffering from major depression. I was on Paxil, Zoloft, um, Tepico, Seroquel. I was, I ballooned up to 403. How long well, ago was that? That was 10 years ago. So around 38. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I was finished. I was in a bad place financially. I had a great job. I was making close to two hundred grand a year um, for a marketing company, digital marketing company in, in um, Deerfield Beach. But um, I was miserable inside because I wasn't training. All I would do is order piss Krispy Kreme when they, when after work they go out for uh, drinks. You know what I mean? After okay, that's what mm-hmm. the the, the uh, did you do it with your coworkers after work? And mm-hmm. I would go out and I'm back, I'm hitting shots, but I'm ballooning up because alcohol is nothing but sugar. And um, after a year or two, I looked at myself and I was like, this is it. It's over, champ. I'll never be in shape again. I'll never, um, 
I'll never feel respected, even to myself. I felt like that. You know, coming into this interview, I, I wanted to um, make sure I get a good feel of, try to get a good feel of who you were, are yeah. as an athlete, but also as a person. And I did happen to stumble upon an interview that you did 10 years ago. Okay. Uh, and at the time when I was watching it, I didn't know how old you were or mm-hmm. how recent that was, but it was. It happened to be exactly 10 years ago. It was in 2010. And the person that I saw there, I was like, well, he certainly has a great story, but emotionally, I don't know if I can tap into what's going on inside. Mm. But then I happened to stumble upon a, a recent interview that you did within the past couple of weeks. And I was like, mm. wow, this okay. person is different. Like, Thank you. Well, I don't who know. you are today <laughs> yeah. compared to who you were 10 years ago, mm-hmm. that Shannon with the dreads. Yeah who seemed like he had a lot of energy, mm-hmm. but of a lot of like internal intensity as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Still, still. Yeah. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Nothing. Some things have changed now. I mean, you seem... Um, in a positive way, I, yeah. I, you know, 10 years ago, I was, uh, I'm not sure if I was, I think it was eight years ago when I began my journey back. Mm-hmm. I believe it was eight years ago, but um, I've been, um, I've been evolving as a person. I like to think, you know what I mean? I like to think I've been growing as a person of, you know, I've made mistakes, but I've uh, I've cleaned up my act in many ways. I, I was a kid who was on my own since I was 13 years old. I pretty much raised myself. I was, you know, living here, living there. I was homeless for a while. And um, I was always the, 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 the decision maker for myself. And then at the same time, I was also looking out and trying to take care of my mom. Mm. And um, I think that... Um, you know, looking back in retrospect, you know, could do, could have done some things different, but hey, I'm here and I'm looking forward to a phenomenal future. I'm 48,000 years old and I think that I'll fight for another three, four years, hopefully, if I'm, you know, physically fit, uh, mentally fit. And because b- boxing has become therapeutic for me, just training in itself, like mm-hmm. I was saying, exercise is very much needed to release the endorphins, to sweat it out. Basically, what I call it is get yesterday off your back. You know what I mean? <laughs> it is. It that's what sports does. That's yeah. what training does. Yep, get yesterday off your back, yeah. you know? So that's where I'm at right now, Prem. I feel good about being back home in New York. I feel good about the businesses. I feel good about the team that I'm working with because that's very important. You got to have a team. You know, you work with people that's... Uh, not all working with the same, you know, yeah. not in alignment. Then you got things going off the road. You feel me? Yeah, yeah. Let's I go, do. champ. Uh, every every time I'm around some a fighter, whether it's a boxer or MMA, I forget how deep you guys roll because you yeah. just came in with like <laughs> eight dudes yeah, and like yeah, we're yeah, like yeah. another athlete. They might have their publicist right. or an agent yeah. and maybe like somebody else. But you fighters, you, you roll pretty deep. Um, yeah, because you know, I'm, these I'm, the homies as well, let alone, you know, all my team is, we, we have one goal. Listen, if line. I could afford, I would gladly have people like 10, I want to roll like 15 deep, <laughs> but you know, I can't yeah. really, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. have the resources to do that. But Let's yeah, go, it's champ. Yeah, they take um, care of themselves though. They financially fit. They all right. <laughs> everybody okay. Everybody has their role in yeah, there, Yeah, right? everybody okay. Yeah. And when I look at your background yes, and your childhood and everything that you experience in Brownsville, Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like it's I, I don't even know where to begin in terms of just like the single mother and your stepfather dying in prison and um, 
asthma and getting into boxing, but also digging up information about you and who you were and where you came from. I then fell, fell into like the Google hole of like Brownsville, New <laughs> York. You know, champ. when you start like yeah, looking yeah, up stuff, yeah, you're I like, know. oh my God, I'm like 45 minutes into like no. figuring out the history of Brownsville, yeah. New York. And yeah. it was, it's crazy to look at the history of the time of which you were growing up during the you were born in the 70s, but just like the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, there Bad. were riots, Bad. there was violence, there Bad. was protests, <laughs> a lot of conflict with the local police. I Bad. mean, there was city officials were telling people not to use public transpor- transportation to go to Brownsville. Wow. Yeah, I mean, like, bad. that's how serious it was. Yeah. And there was, I think the single mother rate was like 45%. It yeah. was like twice that we never of the even nation. Had a high school. We don't even have a high school. Are you serious? No, I'm serious. There's no high school in Brownsville. We don't for what? You ain't going to high school, champ. So. <laughs> for what? <laughs> oh, my God. But what's crazy is, like, on a larger scale, I don't understand, when I hear of your story, I, I'm amazed that you could come out of it so wholly and, and healthily. But also, like, three former heavyweight champions all coming out of Brownsville. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how that happens. Um. It's never before been done, and that's what makes this this story so amazing. The fact that um, we got three former heavyweight champions from Brownsville, Brooklyn. Um, it's not even two miles in size. The whole place. Um, it's a very small. It's a very small neighborhood in a sense, but it's packed in. It's been a ghetto from the beginning of time since its inception. At first, it was a dump. For many years, it's where everyone in New York City bought their garbage. And then um, a guy named Mr. Brown boarded, I believe. And I was just told this by Mike Tyson a few weeks ago. I did his podcast, and he was telling me how he knows so much. He's such a knowledgeable man. And he was telling me how once um, this guy bought it, and eventually it sat there forever just being a dump. And then eventually someone said, well, people just started living in there, just moving in the dump, like mm-hmm. literally homeless people. And they wind up turning it into, changing it into like a village, like Brown's Village, you know? And they shortened it to Brownsville. Um, it was always ghetto, a ghetto. It was a Jewish ghetto, Italian ghetto, black ghetto, Spanish. It's always been a ghetto from the beginning of the time. Irish, every every nationality has found Brownsville to be, you know, a home, but for poverty-stricken people. Hmm. Uh, we have a huge crime rate. I think the problem is that there's not much opportunity. You know, when people don't have opportunity they tend to um, go down the wrong roads, mm-hmm. boredom, you know, lack of opportunity. And I think that's what makes a great fighter in some ways. You got to fight your way out of Brownsville. I talked to Mike Tyson. I talked to I talked to uh, Riddick Bowe. I talked to everyone, Zab Judah, Curtis Stevens, all guys from Brownsville. And you know you got to fight your way out. Amazingly, Prem, there's not even a boxing gym in Brownsville. So that's the next stage of my career. You asked me, uh, well, you didn't ask me, but what's next for me? It's to leave a legacy. Um, if we can, When we start and open up the Brownsville Boxing Academy, I think it'll do a lot because obviously there must be something in the water. If you got three heavyweight champions all from the same neighborhood, mm. it's, it's never before been done. So we want to we wanna see what's in the water in Brownsville. We want to open up a gym. We are going to open up a gym, the Brownsville Boxing Academy. Then we're going to do the Harlem Boxing Academy, yeah, South yeah. Bronx Boxing Academy. We're going to do it all over the world, <laughs> hopefully. Because this gives kids who's, who, who were like me, who was homeless, sleeping on a train, um, no place to go. It gives them place to go. I slept in the gym. I used to live in the gym. I got good enough to where 
the owner of the gym, Jimmy O, was like, he knew I was homeless. He said, you can sleep on the couch. And and he gave me a heater one night, a little a little plug-in heater. And I was like, man, this guy, this man is God. Because when you're cold and you're freezing and you think you're going to die and somebody give you a heater, it's like, it's like giving oxygen. Hmm. You know what I mean? So that allowed me to... Um, that that allowed me to give me a place to stay. I lived in the gym for some time, and then he got me an apartment. He helped me get an apartment. Um, you know, it was, it was my roadmap, and I think showing kids and other people that I had it rough, but people have had it worse, and you overcome. If, if, if you overcome and you keep you keep striving to become something, it'll happen. It'll happen. You you know, nothing comes from people who sit down. You got to stand up and make something happen. You feel me? Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to leave a legacy behind. And hopefully in 10, 15, in 50 years, they'll have boxing academies. Because boxing is a great way, not just to uh, forget making money, just to relieve stress. Yeah. It's some days when I'm feeling at my worst prim and I go in there and I just start hitting the heavy bag. And afterwards, it's like literally like taking a drug. It's, it's amazing how you feel mm-hmm. once you sweat release those endorphins you feel like a totally different person you know it mm-hmm. becomes addictive in itself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, dabbled in boxing I did Muay Thai for two to three years when I was in Miami and okay. um, I love it yeah. I was the first girl in there to spar and Let's go, it's a little different when you get punched in the face <laughs> I was wearing gear but still but there is something a little like I don't want to say therapeutic but it's um, it's that feeling of like getting knocked down and then getting back up and if you keep doing it over and over again, you become conditioned to think like, yes. well, doesn't matter what happens. Like I've got knocked down so many times yeah. so I can come, I can get back up again. Facts, facts. Um, but I think, you know, in talking with a ton of athletes, you know, we'll talk uh, on, we'll touch on a lot of different transitions. Mm-hmm. A lot of it has to do with like when they retire and what happens to them. But I'm really interested about your childhood. I know you've talked about it no, so many times. No, it's all good. But your story is like, Really, it, it was like a miracle from the moment you were born. Mm, yeah. Weren't you two pounds when you were yeah, born? Yeah, I was less than two pounds. I was a preemie. I think I was born like three and a half months early. Um, and look mom, at you now. What I'm are you, six you, four, right? 200? I'm a monster. You should see me. <laughs> Let's go, champ. Uh, how much do you weigh now? Uh, I'm about, right now, I'm about 265, but I'll fight at 250. Wow. Yeah. Six four two fifty. All yeah. from two pounds when you yeah, were born. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my, my grandma, like you said, my grandmother, I used to have like um I guess a big belly button, uh-huh. and she took a, um, a silver dollar. And she taped it over my belly button, and it, and it went back in. But that was just one of the things that, of amongst many other things, that when I was born, it was like this baby ain't gonna make it. Wow! And my grandmother was like, "Nah, this baby gonna live." And she, whatever she did, I'm here today. You know? Were you born prematurely because of your mother's issues with with drugs um, and her? I've heard with various that? stories. I, I didn't hear that from her, but I'm, I've heard that from an aunt. So, but I don't know. I don't know if it started that early for her. My mom did very well. I mean, she was doing very good. She came, she left Virginia um, the day after high school. She left Virginia. She she moved to New York. She started working in the factory. Uh, she 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 uh, went to college, became a registered nurse. She did a lot of she did a lot of good things for me. She did a lot of good things for the people in my family. So when when she got when substance abuse took over. And we were. She was at her worst. It was very hurtful be, for her because she had dosed, done so much for her brothers and sisters and everybody who she felt turned their back on her. So she kind of felt mm-hmm. like you know damn. because of her addiction. 
her addiction, and she was such a high person in our family. You know, she had everything, apartments, apartments, cars, and stuff like that. She was doing well. She was working, you know, and then to lose everything. And here I was going to private school, Lutheran school. You know, she was paying for me to go to school, and now we had nothing. And I think it's the nature in people sometimes, some, some, the nature of some people to be like, yeah, look at you now. You feel me? Hmm. And But I tell you this, Prim, I believe that was a big push in me because when we were down and out and we would go to people and maybe for a place to stay and they would turn our back on us the same people who I watched my mom help when we were doing good I was witnessing this and I was like mm, it hurt me I was like mom don't ask you know they don't want us to stay let's let's go you know we'll walk and we'll find somewhere to stay tonight um those things um those things made me tough. Those things made me, um, especially in the yeah. earlier years where yeah. you feel like you when can't you're a kid and trust. You, nah, when you're people. a kid and, and you get hurt by parent by adults, yeah. you're like, wow, what do you do? You can't say nothing back. So yeah. I internalized a lot of it, but I think that's the fuel that I needed because I would have never been boxing. I was my mom took care of me all my life. I had my own bedroom, my own color TV in the room, and then we lost everything. I came home from school and we were evicted. Um, Wow. Yeah, we came home and we had no place to sleep. So that 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 was a, a big blow to me. But it was also something that uh, drove me. You got to have that drive. If you don't have no drive, then the cat the, the, the you don't got no gas. And that was my gas. If you don't got no gas. The car don't move. You feel me? Yeah. So now it was the gas. The gas was the hurt. It was the humiliation. Mm-hmm. It was being told no. It was sleeping on a train, sleeping you know different places. It, it was uh, that's what made me who I am today. So were you guys financially stable, like a fairly financially stable, despite Brown Brownsville's, you know, economics and yeah. the surroundings? It sounds yeah. like you I'm guys from up were... The hill. I'm from up the hill. I'm originally from up the hill, Brownsville, okay. which was beautiful at a certain point. It, 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 it kind of dropped in seven, you know, late 70s, I want to say 80s okay. maybe. Um, but it's back now. It's beautiful. Gentrification, I guess you call it. It's a beautiful place now, up the hill, yeah. Ocean Hill, Brownsville. And then I moved down the hill. Uh, I moved down the hill. It's a lot different down the hill. When I went down the hill, I lived amongst the the rail. You feel mm-hmm. me? Um, so you guys were were financially stable really up until for the for the better part of your childhood, and then there was a certain point where she lost her job, and you guys had I, to move out. Or I think I started noticing. You know, you you become more aware as a, as you get older. Yeah. I started noticing things. I was always very, I loved my mom so much. I loved. I thought she was like God. You know what I mean? So. For me, I started. I think I started becoming aware of her physical appearance had changed. Um, she had had marks on her hands from from needles, and I was like, "Hey, mom, what's that from?" Blah blah. And she's like, "Oh, nothing, nothing." And then over time, you start noticing, you start learning. I would find hypodermic needles in the house, and I would be like, you know, I was a kid. I would play with them and be like, "My mom would say no," but the thing was, my mom was a nurse, so it was always. Wow. Okay, yeah. well, my mom's a nurse. You're supposed to be medical stuff in the house, and we kept medical right. stuff in the house. But now I'm finding needles. And then you get older, you start learning. And, and I think the real big part was a lot of a lot of adults wanted to hurt me. A lot of adults wanted me to know that your mother this, your mother that. A lot of people were very jealous, and they wanted to rip me apart by telling me that my mother was on drugs and that my dad wasn't my real dad, that he was my stepdad. I found that out from some neighbors who... Just wanted me to like wanted me to know, and I was like nine years like your old. Your stepdad wasn't your real dad. Yeah, he was my stepdad. I didn't know that. You know, our kids don't know. You know, he was yep. he was in my life since I was nine months old, 
and I was around eight or nine when they saw that's not your dad. And I didn't know. I would come home like, Mom, why this person said that? And she'd go looking for him. Who said that? And he he, he was black as my shirt. And I was lighting. I, I thought he was God. He was my dad, you know? And I found out later on he was my stepdad. I still loved him the same. Um, he was in and out, though. You know, and then he was on America's Most Wanted, I think, like the second episode or something like that. And that was wow. another blow because it was embarrassing where I lived at. Everyone knew. And it was like, hey, yeah, I think I seen your dad on, you know, it was just a lot of talk. But again, the rumors, the humiliation, yeah. all those things made me a tough dude. You know what I mean? Like, I don't take no crap. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean, for sure. Yeah. I, those things... Thank you for sharing that. Um, oh, that's all you good. Know, and talking about your your mom and you're right. There's so many things. I think when you're a little kid, you look up to your parents. You're yes. like, they are Superman and yes. Superwoman, yeah. and they are perfect. Yeah. And then as you get older, you start the, the light and lens starts to change, and you're thinking, well, I don't. What's that? Like, mm-hmm. I I don't know what that is about. Mm-hmm. So like, as your lens started to change about your mom, and maybe you started to notice some things and marks in her arms, and you found out about your your father, yeah. who ended up being your stepfather. Right. Those are some very like big pivotal moments where yeah. Yeah. trust becomes like a really tough they, thing. Yeah. But how did that? How did those things affect your ability to trust? I don't. I don't have. I have major trust issues. I don't. I don't. I don't trust you as far as I can see people most of the time. But I. I. I you know, it's funny because I'm very optimistic. I still give people the benefit of the doubt until they show me something, and at that point, I'm like, wow, because I've. I've dealt with trust issues all my life. My mom would tell me things to pacify me and, you know, and to, to try to get by. And then, like, even when we lost our place, we, we was homeless for, sheesh, for, I want to say, four years before we got a place. You were uh, homeless for four years? Yeah, before we got a How old were you during that period? I was 13. 13 to 17, roughly? Well, I was maybe 13 to 16. 13. Okay. I, we, then we got an apartment. We got an apartment in East New York, very bad neighborhood as well. We lived across the street from the crack spot. So it was like, literally, it was like live at five all day. <laughs> you know what I'm It was live at five all day. And we lived over there for a while. And then uh, we lost that place. And um, I was just pretty much everywhere from that point. And then I got, I was on the USA team. That was a huge part for me because I was able to travel the world. I went to Poland, Ireland. I was doing it and um that was another thing it was like layers that was another layer to let me see wow there's something else outside of Mm -hmm. brooklyn outside of brownsville Mm -hmm. and that was that was a big push boxing really did a lot for me it gave me opportunity to see the world meet amazing people learn different languages and you know brought out the personality that was that was inside covered up Mm -hmm. from all the pain you know what i'm saying i do yeah i do so how did where did boxing enter the picture how old were you your very very first memory it's crazy because um i had we had lost our apartment but i still used to go around my old neighborhood because it's all i knew and my friend's dad my friend ryan Lindsay, his dad gary Lindsay, wound up buying a a building across the street from where we lived Uh in an apartment building where he bought a a, a, like private house and he said he was going to hire us to help you know fix it up and i was I might have been 14, um, 14, 15. And I remember we worked on this house literally for like two years, a year and a half. We were just bucket by bucket, you know, we were, and I needed the money because I was coming from another neighborhood to mm. come back around the neighborhood. And um, he would give us $20 a day sometimes. And I was like, wow, I needed that. That's 20. a lot of money. Yeah, man. $20. I was <laughs> like, man, I couldn't believe it. That had to be, I want to say that had to be 84, 85. And, um, that was a lot of money back then. Yeah, it was not. Well, you know, I, I, still I, a lot of money for our kids. 
Well, I started working at eight years old. I started packing oh, bags. Wow. Yeah, I started packing bags, you know, taking home your groceries. I shoveled snow. I sold watermelons. Um, I was a worker. I didn't have the problem working. Yeah. Uh, but when I was getting like $20, $40 a day, whatever he was giving us, I was like happy to have it. Yeah. And then when he finished it up, I never forget, he finished it up. He we um, he had carpet in it. It went from a literally abandoned building, a, a condemned building. We we helped. Of course, he had a real construction. We were kids, <laughs> but we did our little you know teenage work, and I was, we was working hard. He wasn't playing. And then um, when it was all complete and done, it was it was a basement apartment, a basement. It was the basement in a building, and he put floors down. He put glass on the on the walls. And he bought some weight sets. I remember the day like it was yesterday. He said, come on, we're going to jump in the car. We're going to get some stuff for the gym. And this is my friend's dad. So I'm like, can I go? He said, yeah, come on. We jump in the car. We drive to Green Acres Mall out in Queens somewhere, right? And on the way, there was like this little gym place, training place. So he pulled in, and they're getting weights and different stuff for the gym. I'm like, wow, man. And then um, I was walking, and it was like an old warehouse, I guess they were liquidating stuff, and it was these old brown gloves that looked like they was from the 1920s. And I picked them up, and I can tell you to this day, I smelled them. I was 14, maybe 15, 14. I smelled the gloves, and I was like, wow. And Connection? I like, yeah, I was like, you want to tell your dad to get these? And he was like, nah, nah, nah. I was like, come on, man, tell your dad. I ain't going to you know, have fun. And his dad got the gloves. I remember. Now, had his dad not got the gloves, it's like the butterfly effect. You never know, right? Yeah. <laughs> had his dad not got those gloves, maybe we wouldn't be sitting here today. Um, he got the gloves, and we went back We went back to the neighborhood, and we would um, be boxing in the basement. And, again, another part of my story, one day we wound up taking the gloves from the uh, the building, well, the apartment building where he had bought mm-hmm. across the street to our neighborhood, you know, and to the basketball court. And everybody was running. Give me the gloves. Give me the gloves. We're going to fight. Everybody was fighting. And I got the gloves on. Everybody's fighting. But it was crazy because the guys that I couldn't, like, beat, the bullies or the guys yeah. that I was scared to even fight, when I put the gloves on, ping, 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 I was giving it to them. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. And I kid you not, everyone was in amazement. Everyone was in amazement. Like, whoa. You know what I mean? Everyone was in amazement. And even me. It was something about those gloves that having those gloves on, it was a different you know, feeling for me. Yeah. Um, that was my little, my only little stint with boxing at that point. And then in high school, I want to say two years later, I was in high school and an older classmate said, um, we made a stupid bet about something. And we was like, he seen me fight a couple of times in school, you know, and he was like, bro, you be putting it on him. <laughs> like, you know, like <laughs> I got jumped one time too. I got jumped by three boys and I beat them up. You know what I mean? It was older dudes. They jumped me, but I was I was fast. I was slip, and I beat up three dudes. I did well. I don't say I beat them up, but I did well. Yeah. Enough for everybody to hear the rumors and see who who was and there. And how old were you then? I might have been 16, 15, okay. 16. And everybody was like, yo, bro, this dude, he ain't no joke. And then um, my buddy kept egging me to go to this gym with him. And I was like, bro, come on. And he's like, nah, nah, I want you to go to the gym. We made some bet. I lost the bet. He finally got me to go one day. Now, mind you, I thought he had a car. He had a car. I know for a fact he had a car because I used to go. And he lived in my other neighborhood, so I knew him. He had a car. And he was older than me. So I was like, you know what? I go with him. Getting a ride in the car, listening to some music. So after school, we go to go to the car, I'm thinking. And he says, nah, we're taking the bus. 
I'm like, nah, you bugging. I'm not taking no bus. <laughs> you crazy? You got a car. He said, nah, my, my car's in the shop or something like that. I'm like, whoa, brother. So uh, we wound up taking like two or three buses to get to Starry City. And we get there, like, say it's 3 o'clock. We left school early, 12. He, he convinced me. I said, you know, I'm cutting school. Why not? Let's go. <laughs> um, got there, say, 3 o'clock, Prem. And I see this tall, skinny figure coming down the street. It's like it's snowing. And I see this tall, 6'5 figure pushing on, like, or pulling on a, a shopping cart. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, somebody's coming now. They open the gym for us, you know? We've been waiting outside for, like, 10 minutes. We finally find a place. And the guy comes and says, hey, how can I help you? He says, oh, man, we want to join the boxing club. we glad you came. Yeah. He says, I don't know why you're glad. We ain't open. And close the door. Boom, come back at five. We was like, come back at five. It's snowing. Like, what do we do? <laughs> so I went. I remember we walked to a little strip call, strip mall in Star City. And it was, we still did a little vestibule of a, a Chinese restaurant. We're standing in there trying to stay warm. And by the time we walked back, say it was like 5.10 or 5.15, by the time we got back to the gym, and it was rocking. Prem, when I tell you it was rocking, I had never seen anything like that to my to this day. It was The music was on. When we got there, it was closed. When we got back, it might have been 50 people in there in 15 minutes. I couldn't believe it. No one was outside waiting. And was that your first taste of like a real boxing first gym? First time I'd ever in a boxing gym. Oh, okay. I can't dribble. I can't catch. I can't do nothing in sports. I always sucked in sports. I can't hit baseball. They never picked me for sports. When I was, I was always the last to get picked. And they'd be like, really? whoever picked me be like, damn, I got Shannon. You know what I mean? <laughs> always, literally, literally. And that was hurtful too. I mean, keep it real. Yeah. But that helped me in boxing. I never got, I never made the basketball team. I tried out. I never made football. I never made any sports. But when I found boxing, I found my, I found something that I was good at. You know what I mean? So, um, I went back to the gym, me and Zach, and when we get there, it's rocking. I never forget. We walk in there playing the radio, people hitting the speed bag, people in the, you know, on hitting the heavy bag, girls in the gym. It's going crazy. And then they said, sit down right there, fill out these papers. I'm sitting down. I'm watching everything. I'm filling out the papers. But I'm thinking, damn, who can I get to sign me up? You know, yeah, you have to have you, a guardian. I'm right. like, I don't got nobody. <laughs> I don't have nobody, you know what I mean? So I said, I'm going to forge this. I'll figure this out. Um <laughs> And I never forget, the guy was, just, they started sparring and we're in the ring and I'm, I'm sitting right here and, okay, so this is where the ring is and I'm sitting on a little couch, there's a little walkway, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting like right on close to the ring and these guys are fighting, fighting and the guy hits a guy and all this blood came and I'm watching and it splattered all over me, my friend, he jumped up, I'm out of here, I said, I love this place. <laughs> I said I love this place. Like this is a piece of cake compared to where I come from. I said I couldn't believe it when I seen that. When I seen the action, I smelt it. I was like, I'm home. Um, I came every day. I would walk. I would do anything to come back. And then um, they tricked me one day to fight. They said, Come to the fights. Come hang out. You know, just you get to get to know what's going on. And I went to the fights, and I didn't have boxing boots or anything. And they said, uh, You next. I said, nah, I don't, I'm, I'm not a fighter. I just help the guys. I'm one of the, you know, I'm training to be a coach. They said, nah, nah, you fight next or you walking home. And how old were you at this point? I was 16, 15, 16. Okay. And we were in Staten Island. And I was, and all I knew about Staten Island was the movie on 
Saturday Night Fever. Remember that? Remember that? <laughs> and they was on the bridge, and that was the Verrazano, right? And yeah. I, I think the guy was almost fell. Did he fall off or something like that? He was acting uh, like he fell. Off. <laughs> yeah, John Travolta, and that's all I knew about that about the you know Staten Island. And I remember us driving there. And um, just like, wow, you know, it's big bridge. And I'm looking, I'm happy. I'm going to the fights. I'm in this big Cadillac with my, my trainer. And we get there and he says, um, you guys got a light heavyweight? And the guy said, oh, we got one, but he got five fights. He said, all right, he fight my boy. And I think, I'm like, well, who we got? Because we, we ain't bring no heavy, like heavyweights. You're looking at the side. You're yeah. like, well, guys, who's going to step up? Yeah, right. And he says, uh, get ready, you fight. I said, get ready. What you mean, Jimmy? I had on a pair of Reeboks, low-top Reeboks. Uh, sweat socks. I, I borrowed some guy's trunks. Now, mind you, I was about 178. The guy, yeah, weighed, I was just about how yeah, big were you at this point? 178 pounds. Okay, the kid whose trunks I was for then was my buddy Felipe Gomez. He weighed 135. Oh <laughs> you know my god, so I had on tight yeah, pump shorts. Were you? <laughs> six, six, three, six, four. I'm fighting with these uh, these tight shorts and they cut the sleeves off my t shirt, not even a tank top. Man, <laughs> and I'm fighting a dude with five fights, five and oh. And mind you, he's the world champion, Buddy McGirt's nephew. Mm. And Buddy McGirt was shining at that time. And I'm fighting his nephew. I'm shitting bricks. Excuse my language. I apologize. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, um, I'm feeling, I'm like, man, what I'm going to do? First round, he jumped out on me. Boop, 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 boop. He dropped me with a body shot. I went and was down. this your first ever fight? First, first ever, ever fight. Never really sparred. Never, you know, it didn't really get seasoned. And um, I looked over at the coach. And he said, if you want to ride, you better get your ass up. <laughs> if you want to get a ride home. And I thought about that bridge. I got up. And, um, I, 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 you know, I always had this thing where I, I was, uh, I thought Muhammad Ali was just the greatest thing ever. Yeah. And I had just watched enough of him to imitate him. And somebody said, Ali, get up. It was another guy who came with us. And when he said that, he called me Ali. I got up. And I started boxing like Muhammad Ali, putting it together, combination after combination. I drop him, pram, boom, 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 everybody going crazy, the crowd. And there was the, another point in my life where I fell in love with the roar of the crowd. Mm. I couldn't believe it. Mm. I was like, yo, this is, this is my life. Mm -hmm. They were screaming for me. I couldn't believe it. I was a guy who, again, never picked mm -hmm. for any sports. A guy who was uh, always joked on because of I had bad... Uh, eczema growing up you know my mm -hmm. asthma we didn't know not to drink milk we didn't know that dairy was you know horrible for you i wind up uh you know having having not known having been joked on my all my life humiliated then adults kids asthma not picked so all of a sudden it's all of a like sudden the first time you're first time cheers, ever people support. are cheering for the champ shannon briggs and i'm like well you know what this is what i need to be doing and um that's how i pretty much began you know my, my boxing career and mm -hmm. Really feeling like you know what this is something I could do, and then I found a place. I felt I felt good for one point in my life. I felt good. I love those stories. You know, you talk about that story about picking up the the boxing gloves and taking a sniff. I feel like every sport has its own smell. Yes. So, like if you go on the NFL field, it's it has a certain smell. Yes. Like if you go in a baseball clubhouse, has a certain smell. Hockey definitely stinky feet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> tennis, you know, tennis. You go to a tennis courts; they have like a certain smell. So it almost sounds like you just like really fell in love with it. And like, so you tried other sports. Yeah, I sucked it, at everything. <laughs> I sucked but, at everything. But it's fascinating to think about like your just natural talents. Where who would ever thought? 
Well, it sounds like maybe you have great eye hand, eye hand coordination, obviously. Yeah. And I'm a counterpuncher. And you're a counterpuncher. Yeah. You have great um, control over your body. That's what it is. But then with regards to like anything with like involving a, another object, like mm-hmm. ball or whatever. Nothing. Doesn't seem to, <laughs> doesn't seem to doesn't really jump. But other than that, yeah. 6'4", 250, yeah, like yeah. you can move. Yeah, I can move my head really fast. Yeah. I have the ability to make people miss. And my counter my counterpuncher skills are are impeccable. <laughs> Let's go, champ. <laughs> so you picked it up really quickly. And I'm wondering about all the other influences around you mm-hmm. so where did mike tyson come in because you know we talked about him and being another one of the former heavyweight champions coming out of brownsville mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i know you guys had a little you had a little run-in when you were 12 years old no we're not a run-in he not, just, as yeah. in like you ran you yeah, literally like him. ran I seen, into each I other i seen him in the hood and i was like enamored by him he's mike tyson he's the great uh aside from that before that he was like the neighborhood bully so you you either ran uh-huh. out of fear or you admired him because you know who he was and um, I was I admired him. I was like, "Wow, look at that! That's toughness." You know what I mean? So, in some ways, you had um, maybe he wasn't a role model in terms of who you wanted to be as a person, but right. from a boxing perspective, he gave you that that vision that you could potentially be that. Facts. Right? He was the he was uh, well. You know, I, I I had I had such. I had no confidence in myself. I was never gay. I had no brothers and sisters, no one to, uh, my dad, stepdad was in and out, so I had nobody to really like say, hey, yo, do this, you're doing good. I was always told, nah, you ain't this, you ain't that, you're never gonna be nothing. Mm-hmm. And you you know, you keep hearing that enough, you maybe start believing it, you know what I mean? So fortunately for me, boxing uh, allowed me to learn how to believe in myself and, and, and get wins and get mm-hmm. points, you know? Not wins just in the ring, but just get wins in life. You know, yeah. people pat me on the back. It, it felt good. You know. Well, it's interesting to think about like the the, the influences and how it impacts the next generation. Um, but you know, if me coming from the tennis world, you have somebody like a Serena Williams and right. Venus Williams. They come out of Compton, and as they were coming up, they are the same age. We are. I am the same age as them. So as we were coming up through the tennis world, there was nobody like them, especially right. coming from a rich kind of predominantly white sport Mm -hmm. but then now you see so many girls who are of mixed race and african-american and whatever and all of them are on the tour because they saw they could look up to tell on television and say like i can be that that's right and so but mike tyson well he was only three years older than you right a little bit more than that, I believe. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. 48. He might be 53, 54. Maybe. But th- how old were you when you remember seeing him or looking up on the screens or like seeing him anywhere and being like, that's what I could be as a boxer? The, uh, 15, 16. Okay. You know, when, I, when, that, when he bought those gloves, it was timing. It was everything. It was like, you know, it was meant to be. It was it was written that everything happened the way it happened. Um, I was never a, a, a tough kid growing up. You know, I wasn't a kid who was a fighting kid. But... He was something that allowed me to, you know, get confident in my hand skills and my fighting. I had to fight a lot growing up, you know, and people picked on me. My name is Shannon. You know what I mean? My name is Shannon in Brownsville. That ain't a good look. You know what I mean? So, and I went to private school too. And they was like, you know what? What you doing with that uniform on? Come here, chump. You know what I mean? So, it was uh, it was cool. But I had to learn how to fight. And I, I think I did all right. Hmm. Let's go, champ. You got your first glimpse of boxing around like 13, 14. But then your, so your career really... I mean, by the time you're 20 or 21, you start your professional career. Yes, ma'am. And you were already doing big things and winning titles. Your first, you're 25 and 0, you know, within yeah. your first couple yeah. of years. Of, yeah. So it happened very quickly. It happened, um, it happened kind of quick, but at the same time, 
Or at least from the outside, I should say. It yeah, seems yeah, yeah, like yeah, it yeah. happened It quick. seemed like it, but it kind of went quick, too. Like, the, the, the you know, the crashes hurt. Like, I lost to Daryl Wilson. I was 25 and 0. The next day, I was the worst thing ever lived. People hated me. It was like, oh, you suck. You this, you that. And I'm like, damn, I just lost one fight. But that's just that's the nature of the business. You know, like I said, when you, you lose in basketball or baseball, yeah. it's okay. The team lost. But when you leave in, lose in boxing, you lost, champ. <laughs> you know what I mean? So... <laughs> You know what I mean? It's just, uh, it's cool. But here we are today, 2020. I'm sitting here with you and I'm embarking on a new journey, bare knuckle possibly. Um, and, you know, becoming a heavyweight champion in three different decades. I think that's never before been done. Yeah. You know, I hold the record for the most first round knockouts in boxing history for of a heavyweight champion. And my next, my next goal is to become heavyweight champion in three different decades. Wow. Yeah. So are you in shape right now? You look like you're in shape. I take my shirt off. Everybody gets scared in here right now. (laughs) He's taking his shirt off. Let's Let's go, go, champ. champ. Let's go. (laughs) Look at him, y'all. Ah, that's amazing. So at what point during the earlier years, in the formative years, were you like, I could actually be really good good at this? Mm. Boxing. It was always, it was, to be honest with you, it was always, I hope, I was just going to keep it going. I'm going to be honest with you. It wasn't until my last comeback that I made up the, uh, the the psychology change to not what I want but what I make like I'm telling myself I'm, I'm, I, I, I call it gassing myself up I'm the gas up king I gotta gas myself up because if I don't I ain't gonna do I'm chill but if I gas myself up I could run through this wall right now mm. I could dive out that window and possibly live I believe that if I just keep telling myself you could do it champ and that's what I've been doing with my career on this last comeback telling myself can nobody stop me and, and maybe not maybe I don't believe it until I keep repeating it over and over nobody can stop me nobody can stop me and when I'm hitting that bag I'm training myself all I'm doing is I am training my mind mentally. I'm mm-hmm. basically writing on the wall in my brain. This is what you're doing. There is nothing else you're doing. You're going through this wall. You feel me? Mm-hmm. And that's what I do when I see my opponent. I'm going through him. As long as I do what I got to do, I know can't nobody can nobody can't stop me. I'm fast. Um, I'm strong. I could take punches like nobody. For some reason, um, I'm able to absorb punishment. I don't want to. I, don't, I avoid it, but I'm able to take a lot of punches. I've fought some of the biggest punches in boxing history. Lennox Lewis, Ray Mercer, Vitaly Klitschko, Francois Botha, and George Foreman. You can't fight. Those are the highest boxing knockout ratios in the world in the history of boxing. Mm-hmm. I fought all five of them. You feel me? So, and... um you know, I, 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 you know, I can speak a little better, but, but I still got some speech here with you, so I feel good no, about you're, that. You're telling great stories. <laughs> I can still stories, talk, then. so it says something. But, um, I, you know, I'm here, man. I'm just looking forward to hopefully leaving, leave, you know, leaving behind a legacy for people that can yeah. look at him. But, like, you know what, Shannon Briggs was never famous. He was never um, the big superstar, but... He was a good guy. He was a guy who, if you've seen him walking down the street, let's go champ. He was friendly with everybody. And when the bell rang, he got busy. I mean, I think your legacy speaks for itself and the fact of like, you you had a lot of things going against you. Yeah. And I guess I just keep, I'm sorry if I keep diving into it because I'm just, I I guess it's, you know, you're, you're born as a premature baby at two pounds. Less than two. Less than two pounds yeah. with... In itself, like the chances of survival is very small. 
And then you have your mother who, while she was very responsible and had, you know, multiple jobs and took care of the family, but she, she had wagon. her own issues. Yeah, she and fell then off you, the wagon. Things and your stepfather really wasn't there. Neither was your bio- biological father. And then you share that story about being the last kid to be picked um, yeah. in, in gym class or whatever. So I just, wh- at what point did, like, did something click? And you're like, now you adopt the, like, let's go champ. I can finally do this. Because that's a lot of adversity yeah. to yeah, go I mean, through. I and, think, but I, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off. Guys. No, no, no. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. It, that's just a lot of adversity to go through. Yeah. And most people would really internalize that. Mm-hmm. And like, that's it. Like, they just kind of, they just kind of quit. And that's it. So there was something different about you. I tell people, you know, the best thing that for me that ever happened was I didn't have a choice. I don't have options. Mm. You know what I mean? I don't have a family. I don't have anybody to um, fall back on. I can't pick up the phone and say, hey, you champ, I need so-and-so. So what makes you different than all the other people that came from that same area, though? Because there's a lot of people that didn't make it out. They, I, they lay down. They, they just go with the flow, and, and they don't want more. You have to have aspirations of something more. I wanted a house. I was homeless. I used to... It was crazy because... Um, I had like 30 bucks one time, not even. I got some food. Um, I was in a bad position and I had like maybe my five five bucks left and I was in the train station and I never forget, maybe it was Franklin Avenue, I'm not sure. It was a train station where they had like a newsstand. Maybe it was Notion, I don't really recall. And I bought a boxing book and I memorized this book from the beginning to the end. And then I got some more money and I got a book about cars. How old were you? I was like 16, 17. Okay. I got a book about cars and then I got a book about a magazine now, not a book, a magazine about houses. And then I got one that was like Sports Illustrated and it had like, or maybe it was like right on or something. They had all the beautiful women or something, maybe Ebony. I had these three, four book magazines. Uh-huh. I was standing in the shelter one night and I put the I put the magazines, opened them up, and I put on some headphones. All I owned at the time was a gray book bag. It's all I owned. A gray bag bag, two pair of jeans, a blue pair of Levi's and a light blue pair of Levi's, some boots, and like three T-shirts, and an ID. And that's all I own in a Walkman. Oh, my gosh. And I own, okay, you know, it's all in the bag, my whole, yeah. all my possessions. But I got these magazines, Prem, so I put them on the bed. I put him on the bed. I got the music on. And I'm sitting there jamming, and I'm thinking, I'm gonna get this house, huh. this car, and this wife. <laughs> so that's what I'm thinking. And I'm sitting there. <laughs> yeah, the wife component in there. Yeah, and I got it. You should see my wife. She's beautiful. She's awesome. I she, know she is beautiful. Uh, you guys you. have been married for what? Twenty seven. Yeah, twenty something years. years? Yeah, I got the wife. That's amazing. I got the house and I got the cars. So I was like, I did it, champ. You know what did saying? you ever hear of a vision board? Have you heard of people yes, doing ma'am. that? Yes, ma'am. So at 16 years old, you were essentially making your vision board. Yeah, pretty much. I got yeah. the magazines. That's I laid what you're them out. Yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. I was dancing, <laughs> looking at the magazines, saying, this is what you're going to do, Shannon. This is what you're going to do. You feel me? So that's the way it was. That's really fascinating. <laughs> it's a <laughs> you were you were just a little bit different. Yeah, I'm post. No, 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 no different. No well, different. different in a good way, and in, in the sense of like, there's a lot of kids that say, "I want this," mm-hmm. and I expect this, or I want it, and they don't have the drive nor the tenacity, right? Nor the intelligence to like have the creativity to think of like, "Oh, I'm going to do this and this and this and this." Like you were, you seemed like you were just kind of. I had no choices. I had no yeah. options. When you see a mother, 
you know, begging for change and you see your dad is in prison, you go visit him and he says, I'm never coming home. And when you your family turn their back on you or you know, you just you just know that and you know, I ain't get no options and, and laying down ain't an option. Being laughed at is not an option. Being humiliated is not an option. That's why it was my drive. I, I wanted to get out of my position. I didn't wanna be I didn't want to end up in prison. I knew that was I knew that was where I was going. Hmm. I had no other options at first, and then boxing was an option. My dad told me when I went to visit him on Rikers Island, he said, um, I never seen him cry. And I said, he cried. I said, you don't want to come here. And I took it as a diss. I took it. I was offended. I was like, what you mean? Like, you know, because I was already in the streets, and I, I felt like he was disrespecting me. Like, I ain't tough. You know, I can't make it. And he was crying. He said, Shannon, it's not what you think. I was like, nah, you crazy. Who, I'm asking him, who you seeing? You seeing any of my friends, blah, blah, blah. Because, you know, it's jail. I'm thinking he's mm-hmm. seeing my friends. And it was my ignorance, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And when I got into boxing, I was doing good. And he was upstate by the time. He was proud. He was like, man, you know, I'm happy for you. And then he wound up dying in like 93. Mm. 93, 94, 93. And then... um. I look back and say, well, I see why he was crying. He didn't want me to to end up there. He didn't want me to die in prison. He, he wasn't, I I was ignorant. I was stupid. I was like, he, I think, I think he's think he thinks I'm not tough like him. And he wasn't trying to say that. He was trying to straight stand. He was just like, I be. want a better life for and you. Facts, facts. Mm-hmm. And that's what he wanted from me. So, mm-hmm. Let's so, go, champ. <laughs> <laughs> so what was that transition like as you, as you began your professional boxing career around 20 or 21 years old? What was that like? Oh, uh, man. Turning pro, mm-hmm. it was it was all. I, I'm gonna be honest with you, Prem. Everything happened so fast. I'm gonna be honest with you. It was nothing was pre, nothing was planned. Nothing. Everything was day by day. I'd be sitting here lying to you. Everything was day by day. It was you know I go to the gym or I don't. I show up. I told you I showed up. They threw me in a fight. Um, I didn't have a place to go. I go to the gym. I can get a place to sleep there. And if I box a couple guys, they might throw me five dollars. I can go get me some Chinese food. So you're just trying to. Keep your head above I'm just water. Trying to at that survive. Point. Trying to survive. I'm, I'm a survivor. I survive, you know, premature. I survive homelessness. I survive everything. You know, I'm the champ, Shannon the Cannon, <laughs> <laughs> the survivor. If you had to describe boxing in three words and what it means to you, what three words would you use? Life changing experiences. Hmm. Why yeah. do you say that? You could die in a ring. Life changing. Your life dead. You could, you could, you could knock this guy out and be a nobody and become champion in your whole life. Next day, you got Rolls Royces and everything. Life changing experience, so drastic. Highs and lows, extreme highs and lows, extreme, extreme highs and lows. When you riding high, they love you. Wilder just lost this weekend, you know, to Fury. Before that, he was undefeated, you know. Now you look on in social network and the media that just laughs about him, jokes. Oh, he got knocked out. This and third, but. You know, it's a tough business, so it's mm-hmm. very life-changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was the highest moment of your career? Um, I can't really say that yet, to be honest with you, because I don't think I've reached that. Interesting. I really yeah, I don't... How I, about in, in the time that you've experienced so far, forget the future, but in the past, what was your highest moment so far? My daughter's birth. <laughs> my uh, kid's birth. My kid's birth. Athletically, in your uh, boxing career. Um, I haven't... I, haven't I, I say this to say, and I don't... It's crazy, but... I'm I'm not an underachiever, but I just haven't reached my full potential yet because of life in the extreme. I had a good run, and then sometimes, you know, boop, you fall off, or you just take a pit stop. 
my run is coming. My my real run is coming. It ain't over yet. And, and, I, and not just in the ring, but outside the ring as well, business wise. This is this is a groundbreaking year for me. Hmm. I feel it. This is a groundbreaking year for me. Was there a moment that was the absolute toughest uh, during your boxing career? So many losing to Darrell Wilson was a was a brutal loss. Again, um, everybody walked away from me. It was hard, but uh, I, I've had some learning experiences in boxing that let you know that how people are really are, how they feel about you. When, you, when you're a winner, they love you. When you ain't winning, eh, things are different. Everyone loves a winner. Dive into that a little bit more. What, what stands out? What memories do you have when you lost and you felt like you just didn't have anybody's support or felt like conditional conditional support or attention? Yeah, my first what? loss to Darrell Wilson was a, was, a, was a big blow. When I lost to, to Lennox Lewis, it was a war of a fight. And unexpected, people thought I'd get blown away, and here I was trying to knock him out and almost, you know, doing my thing with him. So, you know, that was that was uh, that was an experience where you know people kind of like they rode with me a little bit, like, "Well, you lost, but you know what I mean." Mm. And you know, it's, it's been there. It's been some defeats. It's been some. I don't even call them losses. I call them learning experiences. Mm. <laughs> L was learning I like experiences. that. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Um, do you think? When do you think you'll be able to step away from the game? Because I've know I know you've done it a couple yeah. times. I dabble. I dabble. And you'll champ. always come back. <laughs> I dabble. There's no retirement with you. Never, never. I might it's be more doing just this like at a long break. That's what you gotta do. Give the body a rest, <laughs> champ. Take it easy, and then come back later. And, and look, Fury. Fury just won the title the other night. He beat uh, Wilder. He'll probably fight fight Joshua and then retire. Once he retires, he won't give me a shot. So once he retires, I'll I'll get some young boy go beat him up and become champion. <laughs> So you could be doing this until you're 60 years old. Hopefully, hopefully, unless, you know, something else better comes along. But again, I told you, I can't catch, I can't dribble. <laughs> Nobody's going to put me on their team. <laughs> uh, so what are you working on these days? Oh, man, My Alpha DNA, M-Y-A-L-P-H-A-D-N-A.com. That's my telemed company, champ. It's telemedicine. Most men don't have health insurance. Hmm. Most men don't have health insurance. But they need it. So we're giving affordable health insurance, $100 a month, men's online um, men's online clinic, basically. Hmm. You know what I mean? So check me out, myalphadna.com. Also, menshelp.com. Any man who out there suffers from erectile dysfunction, any type of hormone replacement, I'm your mm-hmm. guy. Come check out the champ, Shannon the Cannon. Menshelp.com. Also, myalphadna.com. The Cannon Bisco. The big okay. Cannon Bisco, meaning the <laughs> Cannon Bisco Company. Let's go, champ. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of things. And yes, I know ma'am. that, yes, um, I don't know if you mentioned it or I already know of it, but you and, and Mike Tyson, you've got your academy that you're developing yes, and you're ma'am. also working on another project with each other, right? Yes, ma'am. Never Ran, Never Will is the title uh, right now that we're working with. It's, it's a stocky, stocky series and documentary about Brownsville, Brooklyn, and three former heavyweight champions from the namesake from the same neighborhood. And how is it, and why is it? And also about building the gym. The gym is necessary. I don't know how many mm. deaths we had last last summer in Brownsville and shootings, but uh, enough to know that enough is enough. We need to bring together unity in the community, and I think this will unify the community. I believe that once people have something that they can attend, we got a huge park called Betsy Head Park in in uh, Brownsville. I want to do shows there. I want to do boxing shows. Mm. I want to get all the all the um, 
projects, developments, you know, housing tenements to be, have your own champion, man. This is a guy that you love and respect. This is a guy or female fighter. He, this guy might be from Tilden Projects. This guy might be from Van Dyke. This guy might be from Brownsville Houses. This guy might be from Atlantic Towers. But we're all one team, and we go around the nation knocking out the people, one, team by team. Let's go, champ. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you for having me, Prim. You're um, the best. Yeah. Uh, and what about people that are, that might be going through really tough times, things that have helped you um, over the last five or ten years? Mm. What kinds of things are you doing um, to help your mental health, to develop that relationship with yourself? What kinds What kinds of advice? Kind diet. of advice would you build? Diet. Diet. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Excuse me. Yes, yes ma'am. Uh, diet. Diet, diet, And what kinds diet. of things with the diet that diet, helped you? Food diet, music diet, TV diet. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? People diet. Who you around? Might be a negative dude. He's always saying some silly negative joking about bringing up negative stuff. Get rid of him. He ain't the guy. Because you might be on some positive stuff. And now he's talking about something negative. And you forget the positive thought you had. Now you're going down this road. you listening to some music. They're talking about killing and getting cars and getting money and getting diamonds. You're like... You know what? I'm not happy with the shirt and clothes I got. I want what he got. I want, you know, and that's what we live in. We live in a world where everyone's always trying to get the next best thing, you mm-hmm. know? Um, especially in um in, in the black community, a lot of people are material dri- driven, you know what I mean? And um that that I had to take a break a break from. You know, I, I spent a lot of money uh throughout my career. It was a I had a hole, you know what I mean? I had a hole, although I was doing good I'd done somewhat good. I still had that hole in me from my mom, hmm. that that loss of my mom, that loss of my dad. I had a bottomless pit. Women, alcohol, and material things were the things I was trying to fill it up with. I said, you know what? Once I get this girl, it'll help. Once I get this, this will help. Once I get that, you know, me and my wife, we had breaks. We took all, we, we weren't, weren't together for four or five years and we got back together. And during those times, I was trying to figure out, like, how can I fill up this hole? And you can't fill it with, with the stupid stuff. You can't mm-hmm. fill it with drugs and alcohol and, and women and material things. I tried that. And it's endless. It's an endless pit. Um, I had to take a diet from listening to rap music that was that was driven, driving and driv- driving materialism and driving uh, into my head. The more women, the, the more cool you are. The more mm-hmm. the more things you have. So I took a diet. Also, the food diet was more important than everything else because you are what you eat. Literally, mm-hmm. you know, you eat some crap, you start feeling like crap. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I had to do all that that dieting. That dieting is, I think, was a huge thing for me. People, places, and things, as well as just listening and stuff, just being around certain people. I had to take a diet, and that did wonders for me. Wonders. I would be around people that was negative, and I'd be like, if I was around them, I'd be like, hey, guys, I got to go. <laughs> you know I, mean? I gotta go. You know what I mean? Because I'm fighting that. I'm fighting all negativity. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. I wasn't even watching the news because at one point I was immersed with that. All I was doing mm-hmm. first forty eight, this one, that one, this this people killing all around the world, and it's all over the television. Yeah. Every channel got a murder. Every channel got some type of investigation. I'm like, this is weird. It's putting me in a dark place, and I'm and I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying watching this. I'm looking forward. Let me watch this marathon mm. day after day. I was doing that for like a year when I was like, you know what? It's this. It's that. And but that's the name of my new book, by the way. I got a couple books. This coming and out. that. No, no, no. The what? name of my book is 
it's not just one thing. Oh. Because <laughs> it's not just one thing. It's called the Shannon Briggs diet. It's Shannon Briggs. It's, 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 it's not just one thing because we always feel like, you know what? If I just do this, yeah. it'll be okay. Everything will change. Nah, yeah. it's not one thing. It's, it's dieting from food, from this, from that. It made multiple things. Yeah. You know what I mean? I do. Let's I go, do. champ. Shannon, thank you so much for thank coming you, on. I'm all about the Shannon Briggs diet. Me too, champ. Thank I you hope for you can me. put that in your book. We'll uh, be looking forward to let's the go, book champ. and the Boxing Academy. And your businesses yes, and the documentary yes, and plenty of other things that I'm sure will pop up in the next two. The coffee. Yeah. <laughs> the coffee, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. K.O. Coffee Club. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on. Thank you, Prem, for having me. Really Let's go, champ. It. Can I get a Let's Go, champ? Let's go, champ. Let's go, champ. <laughs> it might have been a little too high pitch. Was that too Let's high go, pitch? Champ. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. Most of the things Shannon and I addressed were pretty serious in nature. But what you couldn't see was that every time he'd finish his answer with his, let's go chanting, I couldn't help but crack up just a little bit. And I know it's a thing a lot of fighters do. And while it may seem a little over the top, as you found out in his story, there's a real reason as to why he did it and continues to do it. Shannon had to tell himself he was a champion because the people and circumstances around him were telling him anything but that. Saying that to himself, the let's go champ over and over and over again helped not only pave the way for a positive mindset, it also helped him snap out of his funk and stop the train of negative thought. Coming at it from a psychological perspective, he's basically doing affirmations. Affirmations are little phrases that you say to yourself out loud and repeatedly to help reprogram the subconscious mind. It allows people to create the reality that they are aspiring for. So whether it's saying, I am a champion, or I am enough, or I love to exercise, I am a successful business person, whatever it is, research has shown that affirmations actually work. You just have to be consistent with it. A big, warm thank you to Shannon for opening up and sharing his story. I certainly wish him the best of luck in trying to become the first heavyweight champion to span across three different decades. If there's anyone that can do it, I definitely think it's him. I'd also like to thank his road manager, Freddie, for listening to the show and reaching out to have Shannon on. And a big thank you to you, the listener. As always, let me know your thoughts on the show or today's episode. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at prim underscore seripipal. Until next week. No longer are you living for them and their applause. <laughs> and that is something I did, but that is not who I am.